Welcome to episode 864 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 864 of I Am Talk with John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, B-Dog. How you doing? B-Dog! B-Dog in my life. Yeah, B-Dog's in the house. B-Dog! I'm good. I I smell lots of chlorine. Yep. Had a little swim this morning. It's all good. You don't don't do hair treatment. Don't need hair treatment when you wear a swimming cap. Needed it when I was a youngster and wasn't wearing a swimming cap, but these days... Although maybe if I didn't wear a swimming cap, it might bleach my hair a little bit and they'll get rid of some of the greys. You are becoming a little bit of a silver surfer, aren't you? Yeah, no, it's coming, it's coming. Will you die? Nah. Will you? My mate Jeff, he's like silver surfer. Yeah. You know Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. But he dies. No. I think his wife wife makes him. Yeah, no, it's not happening. You're going to go silver surfer. Mm Mm-hmm. I've got. I think I've got two. Mm. I, yeah, it's the second time. So here we go. I'm talking. Is proudly brought to you by our wicked patrons. These are Shane the Butler Reeves. He's going to be helping out at a race. Small race organising this weekend. Uh, Luke the Brock Gilmore. Anyway, Gilmore. 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 Uh, and then we've got Kevin the Assassin Hunt. How's Kevin? I haven't seen him in a while. He's actually going to be helping this weekend as well. Oh, so I've got helping. two. He's, he's my run director. Shane's my two IC. What's uh, the race? It's the. Brad Richards building, Sea to Sky Challenge. Oh, good stuff. Mm. That's a big race in your calendar, isn't it? It is. Okay, we've got some news this week. We've got Hot Topic of the Week. We've got two interviews. Yep, I'm going to be having a catch-up with Mike Phillips later on this morning, so fingers crossed that all goes to plan. Uh, and then we're also, to, he won Ironman New Zealand at the weekend for the second time. And also Carrie Lester, who is a two-time winner of Ironman France, along with loads of other titles. And I reckon one of the most underrated female athletes of the last sort of 10 years or so. Um, and I just want to get more perspective on Nice versus Kona. Okay, so let's dig into the news. We did have uh, two races happen over the weekend. We'll talk about our local race because we are Kiwis. We had Ironman New Zealand happen, and it was actually a really exciting race. Yeah. A men's race. Now, what I would normally, and I'm very critical of myself when I do this because we often just look at the results and we just sort of read off there and you yep. know, things look like they might have been quite straightforward. However, on the men's side, uh, if you looked at the results of this race, you'd go, Mike Phillips won the race, good on him. Uh, yep. Reasonable swim, oh no, good swim. Came out with Braden Curry, pulled away a bit on the bike and, and then held on on the even run. Even run because he had a slightly faster run than Braden. Yeah, um, but that's not how it panned out. <laughs> it was a two-horse race. Those two cleared out, uh, but Mike put in a good surge um, in the second half of the bike, came off, got a three minute lead um, and but then uh, Braden Curry was sort of chipping away at that and caught him he did catch him didn't he yeah he caught him I think it was about 30 k's you guys will hear yeah. later on um, managed to pull away not crazy so you know it was maybe uh, he maybe got a minute and a half maybe two minutes if that um, but then started cramping up and Mike Phillips pounced and got back in the lead and uh, took him down and did a 7.56.04 on that course is bloody impressive 4.15 is just really fast on that course and 247 is not too shabby either it's funny really because i was looking at because cam brown pulled off a seventh which is bloody impressive at 50 he did it at 842 he ran three hours so it's probably not the kind of run he would have wanted like he's obviously a little bit older but mm. you'd expect him to go maybe a little bit faster in the run but um when he was winning i think his fastest was like 820 well mike um yeah, yeah it's a different course but d- d- different slightly different course um but times have certainly improved uh 
on the bike. Because really, Cam's only 20 minutes slower than what he was when he was winning it. Mm. When you look at it like that. Yep. Uh, I, I just remember way back, way back when we were doing it in like 205 uh, or so. Yeah, Bjorn Anderson was one of the strongest cyclists in the world. And I seem to recall he was riding like 430-ish. Yeah. And we're like, that's pretty fast. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just yeah, nothing now. Really uh, so 415 it? on that course is, is brilliant. And also to put it in context, you know, the boys racing, um, you know, sub eight and the females were over nine hours. So I think that it highlights that, you know, that was a classy performance um, by Mike Phillips. And you'll hear so from him later So that's the second on. Ironman win, isn't it? Second Ironman New Zealand win. And and last time he did it, uh, he set a course record, two hours 40 on the, the run, and he had to run down an 18-minute deficit That's to Andrew right. Starkowitz uh, and caught him very late in the piece. So Mike's been pretty quiet for the last few years. You know, we got, sort of got, he stayed in New Zealand, didn't travel at all, had a lot of injury challenges, um, which I think we will discuss later on. Uh, so, he did know, get second in 2021 as well. Hmm. Uh, won it in 19. It was his first full distance win, I think it was. Yeah, he won um, Challenge Melbourne, Melbourne back in the day. Yeah. It was only a 70.3 or yeah. and a half. So uh, good performance. Yeah. Wait, what, what do you think of Mike, Mike's career? Um, well, he's done really well in New Zealand and Australia uh, and Asia. Hasn't really ventured much into Europe. You know, he's did, done Kona a couple of times. Um, I think he got a 16th, something like that. He got 39th um, in 2019. But yeah, got to step up internationally. But that performance, you know, that's a, a very classy performance um, and you would have been had to have a very top athlete have a good day to, to have beaten him then. You know, Braden Curry is, yep. you know, he got third deal. at the World Champs last year. Yep. Um, we had Jan van Berkel in third on the boys' side, ran a pretty solid, two, well, very solid 241. Sebastian Keenlay is, uh, yeah, sort of struggled his way through, really struggled from by the sound of it. Oh, really? Um, but still got fourth place. So his, his, his sojourn into New Zealand has not been... Uh, amazing in terms of performances you know he had a bit of rough time in, in Wanaka when he was a bit sick and here you know you would have expected him to do a little bit better female side um, we had Rebecca Clark leading it out of the swim and she uh, was still leading off the bike I'm pretty sure um, and Hannah Berry had our it used to be Hannah Wells you know Bit of a disappointing run, 3.15, um, mm. and gave up the, the win for Els Visser from the Netherlands, who came through um, to take the win in 9.05.43, uh, with just about three minutes back to Hannah Berry, and then another couple of minutes back to Rebecca Clark. So pretty good racing, not insanely fast, um, but pretty good racing nonetheless. If you don't know the Els Visser story, it's quite interesting. She got... Uh, shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. In, in Kiwi. Yeah. In the news last night. Yeah, it was fascinating. So they basically were somewhere in, was it Bali or something I think it was like Indonesia somewhere. Yeah, somewhere yeah. like that. And uh, they were on a boat and the boat basically got shipwrecked and they only had one dinghy and they had 24 people on the boat. Uh, only six people could fit in the dinghy. Mm. And unfortunately, two people passed away. Mm. Uh, but her and this Kiwi lady, who was quite a bit older than her, swam for like a couple of hours and eventually got rescued. Yeah. And, uh, and then to, they were kind of saying on the news, and I don't know how much detail there is, to this but basically through the trauma of that she was training to be a doctor I think right. and through the trauma of that she just started running and then next thing you know she's a bloody Ironman New Zealand winner yeah so and uh, this, cool. this year at Ironman New Zealand $100,000 prize purse US um, which is a lot more than usual uh, so why I don't know uh, I, I don't know where that money necessarily comes from because you know it's not a big ra- you know it's, they, they had uh, they didn't have a thousand I don't think but they have 900 70.3. Yeah. So, so it's 1,900. Mm. When you look at it like that. Yeah, but a lot of the American-based races, that you know, they have 3,000 or so. 
So anyway, it was good racing. It was nice to see a full race. Weather was all good. Internationals are welcome back. Lots uh, of coverage in New Zealand media. Massive coverage. So oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was really great. Okay, I miss South Africa happened. The, the disappointing part was that Brownlee pulled out last minute uh, possible hip issues. Yeah, and I was really looking forward to seeing how he did. This race is bloody seems to be cursed for the last few years. So again, the swim didn't quite get cancelled, but it might as well have been. Well, they, what distance was it? Four uh, minutes. Well, they said it was a K, but there's no way it was a no, K. Eleven I, minutes. I think it was 750 meters by the sound of it. Okay. So about 10 minutes for the swim, and then uh, then they still got the full bike and the run this year. It was uh, thunder and not thunder, lightning issues. Thunder, uh, lightning, the wheel of me swinging. So, just a shame. It just uh, takes quite a lot away from the race. Laura Phillip dominated the dojo. Not quite dojo domination, but very strong performance in the females race, really crushing it on the bike with a 4.44 and then just a steady 3.02 to take the win by 12 minutes over Fennell Langridge and Penny Slater, who was fourth but got elevated to third. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, and on the boys' side of it, uh, you did have Cameron Worth uh, spanking it out there on the bike for a while, um, but he faded a bit on the run with only a 3.03. Leon Chevalier, who we had on the show reasonably recently, carried on his awesome uh, form um, to take the race Time doesn't really mean much. Seven, seven, eleven. He ran a two forty six and rode a rode a four ten for a victory of around about four four and a bit minutes um, over Bradley Vice and Matthias Linsko Linsko Pedersen from Denmark. So the interesting thing about the females race was Justine. How to say the last name? Matthew. Matthew. Um, she got disqualified, and the reason was she was on the bike, got a penalty. And she didn't serve the penalty on the bike. So she continued on the bike, went on the run, and then did a penalty, penalty, what do you call she, it? She just served a penalty somewhere served on the, the run. On the run. Mm. And so obviously you meant to do it on the bike, so she mm-hmm. got DQ'd. Yeah. Um, they're the rules. They're the rules. Yeah. And my only, and I'm definitely supporting the organisers and the officials, because, you know, if they've got a job to do, you're assuming they're going to be doing it properly. The only thing would be is clear lines of communication to the athlete like an athlete needs to know if you get a penalty you've got to serve it at the next station yep. and if you don't know that tough shit but, no but, sympathy but what's, what's the clear lines does the clear lines read the manual um, you just know you should just know if you're, especially if you're a professional like if you're a first time Gumby going up and doing a race yeah. I'd go I've got some sympathy for you because yeah. there's quite a few rules to get your head around but if you're a pro you know that the risk of drafting is there yep. you need to know if you get a penalty how it happens. So from my understanding, she got a penalty for an incomplete pass. So you start to pass someone, yep. you can't get past and you drop back. That's a clear penalty. No issues with that whatsoever. It's just a delivery of that. And I don't actually know how it, how it works these days. You know, if they just come up if got it, and show you a, a blue card or whatever it is, um, how, how is that acknowledged by the athlete that they actually understand oh, so I've you got don't a think penalty? She, she didn't actually see she had a penalty. Well, no, I, I don't know. Okay. That, that's, um, you would assume you must do. Um, but I don't actually know the delivery mechanism and how that is confirmed. Because if you just kind of took a glance over and you saw a blue card, and maybe you wouldn't or acknowledge you're, it. You're in a bit of a pack, maybe not you know drafting yeah. pack, but there's a lot of people around you. So well, surely they're coming right up to you. Oh, I would hope you so. Know, surely it's in your face. In your face. Um, yeah. 
So anyway, she got fit, carried on, finished third, and then got DQ'd. And that that's suck. a lot of effort when you're a pro athlete and you can't just turn around and go and do another race straight away. You lose out on prize money, you lose out on ranking points, you know, it's a good race, uh, and you lose out on a uh, world championship slot as well. So unfortunate. Especially because it wasn't um, one of championship races, so the prize money mm. went in pretty good. Okay, um, Singapore PTO race, the age group race is already sold out, which is great it's to great. see, isn't it? Yeah, it is. so that should be... Do we know uh, the numbers? Race. Uh, no, I don't know, but you know, Asian races get good numbers, uh, so I'm excited about that. It's going to be awesome. Do Singapore. we see? Do we eventually see PTO races that don't have pros? No, no, yeah, they solely focus on the pro races. The age group is just. Well, they must make some money off the age group racing. Uh, that would just be to subsidise the pro race. The pro race, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, coming up this weekend, not much happening. We've got uh, April and Ironman Texas is happening, but we're building up to the first PTO race. There's a few short course races in Clash Miami and Oceanside 70.3. Now, Fredino's racing Oceanside, isn't he? He is. Looking forward to that. See what really, sort of it's going to be a good gauge, isn't it? It's going to be great. Usually has a pretty strong field, uh, so I am looking forward to that. The weekend, we had uh, Abu Dhabi, the first round of the World Triathlon Series, and I was fortunate that I managed to watch the full coverage of both the males and females race because I was supposed to be biking 180 kilometres on Saturday morning, got up at 4.30, ready to go out on the road, and it was pissing down with rain as per the forecast, so elected to do 120 kilometres instead on the trainer riding on Challenge Road and watching Abu Dhabi. And it uh, was uh, some some good racing, and not necessarily according to the script. Well, the boys probably was um, partially. Alex Yee very comfortably won the race. I mean, it was pretty pretty close, but uh, he looked like he had another gear. The main story from the men's race was Hayden Wild uh, bombed out in the swim. Was uh, wasn't quite last, but I think he was maybe third last out of the swim. And you're thinking, oh, if this, does, if this doesn't all come together, he's in a spot of bother. Uh, didn't realise at the time that he actually also had a puncher and he was riding in last place for the entire bike ride completely mm. by himself. Um, but then put in, then he went and ran a really strong run uh, to run up to nowhere. But uh, it showed that his run was, was on par with the, the top athletes. So had uh, he not got a puncher, uh, it may have been another Alex Yee versus Hayden Wilde show. Uh, so Alex Yee took it out in front of Vasco Velaza and... Uh, Manuel Matthias and uh, the female side it was a, again really good race because uh, you had a breakaway and not totally unexpected to win was Beth Potter so it is her first one um, but you kind of thought that maybe some others might come through but they had a really good breakaway on the bike that just kept pumping it and, uh, the, and sort of shut the, the runners out and in particular George Taylor Brown who's last year's runner up and along with Flora Duffy the most dominant athlete by a long shot you know it just shows if you're not on your A game she finished in 15th place so slow start the season it is a very early start of the season in March when the next race is not until May so I think we'll probably see some different results once we get into the meaty part of the season we also had the arena Super League arena games did you watch them I I very quickly fast forwarded it and like everybody else pretty much the only reason I did that was because Lionel Sanders was racing. He had, a, he had a really good bike. He did really. He did quite well. You know, I mean, this was a C grade field. No disrespect to the athletes yep. there, but they are in terms of the World Triathlon Series athletes. You know, then they're, they're not sort of top tenners. Um, but Lionel Sanders probably did. Yeah, he did better than you'd, you'd expect him to. He got absolutely annihilated in the swim, as you'd expect. Um, but then biked and ran. What was the swimming four hundred? Uh, Two hundred, and he was like losing. 
off the top of my head, like 30 seconds okay. in 200 metres. Wow. So swimming about 2.30 uh, and the top guys were swimming uh, sort of just over over two minutes. So 2.30 is, is slow. That's Lionel's speed. Yeah. It's not that he swam like yeah. shit. That's Lionel's speed. He knows that. And, um, but yeah, he did, he did pretty well. But they, they, they did a good job. There was a, it sounded like there was a good-sized crowd in there. You could kind of feel the excitement. And it was all because of Lionel because if he hadn't been there, I don't think anybody was showing up. What I about package? Is it, is it kind of? I know you're fast forwarding through it, but what did you think? Uh, same as usual. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, you know, something I'd watch on a trainer, but I wouldn't sit down and watch. Yep. Okay. Um, you, you, Wayne Jorgensen has made her comeback racing in Miami. Oh, not I'm in New Zealand. Racing in New Zealand. Which was that? New Plymouth was it? No, New Plymouth is coming up at the end of uh, the month. It was a smaller sort of Oceania Cup race in Topol, and she finished in third place, which was behind our top two Kiwis. And our top two Kiwis, uh, one finished last weekend, seventeenth at the World Tri Series, and that was a good race for her. So it kind of shows her level. Our other one, Nicole Vanderkay, is you know on her day can be in the top 10 um, so it kind of shows where Gwen's at interestingly though they both outran her so oh, she, really? she kept up in the swim and the bike and then outran her whether she went full noise on the run yeah. don't know it sounded like she didn't have much in the tank on the run uh, she's very early in the game to be yeah. back into it but it kind of shows that her swim and bike is not too bad and you would assume the run's going to be the easier piece of the puzzle to put back together um, but the standard's gone up a lot you know and when we saw at the weekend Katie Zaveris who's a, she's gone away and had a baby and come back you know she got dominated at the weekend and the and she was world, pretty strong before that wasn't she oh, she was one of the best in the world really? uh, well she was got third at the Olympics now again early stages come back yep. first race bit of a kick in the pants um, and she probably will get back to a good level but it shows if you're not at your best you're out the back door it's awesome, isn't it? Okay, last week's discussion was a pretty simple discussion. Do you think age groupers will tire of long-distance triathlon and the demands of the times and resources with the demands of the time and resource and make a return to short course racing? Scott Horn's got yes. Been in the sport for going on 32 years. My focus is on short course and 70.3s. I've met my Ironman goals with sacrifices. I have a newer shorter distance goals now. Loving the next chapter. Luke Gilmer says, yes, short course is primed to have a resurgence with the time and cost associated with Ironman now being absolutely ridiculous. Dar- short Sorry. course is achievable and sustainable and I hope to see it back. Good old Darren Leslie's got, yep, way more fun. David Boyce, I think as long as you can keep getting new people interested in sprint and standard triathlon, there will be an ongoing trail of people stepping up into half and full Ironman distance races. Christine McKinley's got, only those who have already raced several Ironmans will probably tend back towards short course or do other endurance sports, gravel riding, trail running, etc. First time age groupers will still be grabbed by the allure of the Ironman to tick that box. This is Gwant Matt uh, Waterfield. For me, no. I can only comment on myself, but I moved up gradually doing local sprint races, age group qualifiers, a bit of standard distance, middle distance, and then smaller non-branded Ironman distance races. Now I'm only, only motivated by the experience. Last year was Lanzarote, this year is Wales, and next year is Rote. As I've got older, I'm motivated by the race experience, not so much chasing times, etc. The thought of local races doesn't get me motivated to train, plus there seems to be far fewer local sprint races than when I started. Um, Oddie Jen has got, uh, no, I think the challenge in lure of long distance race will always attract participants. Older age groups will increase in size, especially post-retirement age. Um, 
Mark Thompson, 100% yes. Why race once or twice a season for both financial and physical reasons when you can race multiple times for your national series? Get a placing, compete with friends and familiar faces and actually enjoy triathlon as opposed to the challenge of competing in Ironman, he puts that in. Um, Quotation marks. PS, 70.3 and PTO 100k is still short enough. Good old John, uh, Rob Gray's got, I don't think triathletes will switch to shorter distances. Most do some short races anyway. Triathlon is still time-consuming and expensive, even short races. I think people may turn to alternative endurance of activities such as gravel racing or even long-distance running, which requires less time and money. Um, i find one more... One more I'll do. Ben Pasalia. Uh, I've done loads of 70.3s over the last 10 years and a very poor one Ironman and wrote in 2015. Ultimately, I love performing the best of my ability in a race and find Ironman just too demanding slash boring, so I have no interest in attempting another uh, as I know I won't be able to do it justice. Instead, I stick to, 70, stick to 70.3s, although last two years I've dropped down to draft legal sprint races. Brutal and fun. And I miss some training. Uh, it's less than 40 minutes of real pain, unlike Ironman, which is going to hurt for half the bike and all of the run five-plus hours. Okay, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think there's probably... I think people that have maybe come from competitive sports you know someone like myself maybe someone like this guy Ben or who've done maybe swimming as a kid or have done running and they like to compete and race uh, I, I definitely think they might, might start moving back then you've got the other people who've maybe they haven't even done short course triathlon and they've gone straight into iron distance races and do more of the experience type thing that I think it was who was it was it was can't remember the name now um yeah, so I think we have two, two camps going in. But I would like to think we're going to see a bit of resurgence in short course racing. I encourage people to race all the time if you want to get faster at your long course racing. But I totally understand that those people who are more experienced racers, it's not so much about times and performances. I think they'll just keep on ticking the box of doing, doing long course. Do we have a problem that there's not the iconic short course races? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because, you know, like if you're in New Zealand mm-hmm. and you're a triathlete, you're going to aim for a Challenge Wanaka. Mm. One of the Ironmans, one of the Porta Tauranga, you know, there's the all 70.3 or Ironman. Mm. What's the iconic Olympic distance or short course in New Zealand? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, we've probably got one Tin Man. That's, I wouldn't say that's iconic. I've never heard of it. But that's um, probably the longest standing race. And there are, uh, elsewhere in the world, though, we're a bit different in New Zealand. Yeah. Elsewhere in the world, there are some iconic yeah, short well, course how long races. Is, um, Escape from Alcatraz. It's, it's sort of. Bit longer than a sprint, but you know yeah. you've got that, and then you've got there are some big ones in in Europe. But there's no excitement iconic. for that. Mm. You know your short course races are the races you put on, which is nothing wrong mm. with that. But mm. there's not that four or five races in the New Zealand calendar where it's like, okay, I'm going to really try to smash out Olympics all year, and you know it's an awesome event, big crowds. You I know, think one of the challenges we have is we don't necessarily get really strong elite fields to those races because the athletes are fo- so focused on you know the world triathlon mm. series or super league or whatever it might be um whereas back in the day you know we used to have a series in new zealand and every country will have had their series you'd have most of the elites turning up and do- doing those races so i think that's a um a factor as well you know if i was to have a race in christchurch and i was to have all the top kiwis and aussies and like an international type world type type 
World Cup yeah. type race on a cool course, I think then it'll get media coverage and I think would start to, to get more. So I guess we're commenting on more from a New Zealand point of view. The big challenge is uh, a lot of races are drying up all around the world, a lot of the short course races. Probably, Why? Um, just the, the cost of doing it. And then people will go, I don't want to spend, you know, 100 bucks on entering a short course race. It's like, it's, it's how you value money. You go. I've got no problem spending a thousand bucks on nine man. Mm. I'm out there for f- fifteen hours or whatever, and it's a it's a my a race. Whereas um, short course racing is getting more and more expensive to organise, as so the prices are going up, and then people are going. I don't know if I want to spend that much money on those races. And again, they won't have them as necessarily their a race for the season. Yeah, because it's like to me, if you're a Kiwi, and, and I don't know what the story is overseas. I'm sure there are some iconic races, but where are the if if we had iconic short course races, hmm. maybe there would be more of, a, more of a look at the race calendar and go, this is going to be more. Because I think fundamentally most athletes, even long course, are doing some shorter racing. Um, uh, not so much. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, so, so there you go. So, yeah. But if there was a race where it was like, you knew it was like, it just was a great brand. Mm. There was something exciting about it. Um, you'd be after, maybe you would go, okay, that's the race I want to try nail this year. Mm. It's, it's, the sport's just evolved so much. You know, back back in the day when I started, most and you know, a lot of the people racing were there to race. You know, yeah. you're, you're racing and you're going as fast as you can. But there wouldn't have been matters. huge fields with it. No, it wouldn't have been huge fields. And I'm not saying the quality was that good, but most people are there to race. Yep. Most people now are there. They still want to go well, but it's experience, participation, and, and a lot more of the field are not necessarily ex-athletes and don't have that A-type personality, which is... That's, that's, and if you're going to commit to doing Olympic or shorter, time-wise in training, what's the difference between that and a 70.3 and an Ironman? Um, Monday to Friday, not massively. So you can get away with less. Yep. But um, if I was to be training for it, Monday to Friday, not massively. So it goes hours show. to hours a day. Yeah, um, it'd just be you don't do the long, longer stuff. You know, your long run might be, you know, you can get away with hours. no long run, but, you know, it might be 90 minutes yeah. as opposed to an hour and a half to three hours. Yeah. Your long ride might be two, two to two and a half yeah. as opposed to five to six hours. Yeah. So your weekly impact is, is a lot less. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, I'm different. I come from a short course background. I'd love to do more racing. And I'd love to see more people do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's really interesting, I think of my own experience. So I did Ironman for maybe seven years, uh, committed my whole life to that kind of moment in my life. I never thought, just pull back. Mm. I was like, oh, I'm quitting. Mm. You know, like it was never like, okay, um, after this moment, I'll just do a short course for a few years. Mm. Now, there was no reason to. Mm. Like what races were there to do? You know, and, and I had a skill base and an endurance base behind me. Whereas if I tried to go fast for a few years, now I wasn't going to be a world champion or anything, but I could have mm. had some good challenges in front of me. But there was no, like someone, one of somebody in the Facebook said back in the day in the, in the 80s in America, what was the tour they had? Uh, well, they had the USAT tour. Yeah. Mm. And, and they, they were well, huge. Light series, yeah. And they were huge participants, weren't mm. they? Yeah. Whereas if you had something like that in New Zealand, maybe I would have gone, you know what, I don't want to do Ironman, mm. but I'll do this for a few years, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, this week's discussion, we got an email from Sean Bonsell, and he got wanted to get Bevan and John's take on the waterfall racing team paying bonuses to age groupers who get on the podium for their team. Is this good for triathlon? Now, this is a really interesting setup. So, waterfall pays $250 for a first. 100 for a second, 50 for a third, and any age group age grouper on their team that podiums at any Ironman 70.3 clash 
PTO, Xterra, and some of the bigger Olympic distance triathlon races. They also pay $1,000 for a first, second, $5,500 for a second, and $250 for a third if you do an, this is an Ironman or a 70.3. But there are some requirements. You, when joining the team, you pay a $75 joining fee. You have to wear the team kit during the race. This costs 250 to buy um, a team kit, and you have to buy one each year. And you have to post a, post a picture of you in the kit on the podium on social media. So he's kind of saying, is it worth it as an age grouper? But the question John's put on here is, do you think age group racing teams that are not based on where you live are a good aspect for our sport? And how do you feel about age groupers being able to win money via these teams? Hmm. There you go. So put your thoughts and we'll discuss that next week. Okay, John, we've got a quiz question. We didn't ask the last week's one. No, we didn't. So we, we asked a question at the beginning of the show, but I'm pretty sure we didn't answer it. So I thought we'd do it again. Um, we didn't answer how many Ironman titles Lionel Sanders had won um, because we're talking about him going into the Super League um, race. So how many titles has he won? And then slightly more topical for this week was because Alistair Brownlee pulled out of Ironman South Africa with an injury before the race. How many Ironmans has Brownlee actually completed? So let's, let's, do, let's do the um, Lionel one now. Oh. And then we'll do... Okay. So, I don't think he's won many... He's won a lot of 70.3s. Yeah. But Ironman? I'm going to say five. Um, I'm gonna, I may even be high on that. Uh, I'm going to say... Uh, I tend to agree with you. I'm going to go six, just because I don't want to agree with you. Um, <laughs> but... With the love. <laughs> but he has, I reckon he's done better than most people think. Uh, like 70.3... Yeah. He's won a lot, I think. Yeah, let's see if we can do a quick count okay. up here. You, you 20, 22, none. Okay, <clears throat> that's, that's good for us. Okay. Uh, 2021, wouldn't be many because we None. Were, okay, great. 20, none. Not 2019, none. <laughs> yeah, so... 2018, uh, none. 2017, one, I'm in Arizona. Okay. You got second in Hawaii that year as well. That was a great year for him. Uh, that's one. Year before 2016, one Ironman Arizona. It's two. Come on, three more. Come year before uh, 2015, he won Ironman Arizona. That's three. Yes. He has won a lot of other races. And the year before yeah. that, 2014, he won Ironman Florida. So it's four. Four. Oh, close, but no cigar. So he actually hasn't won many Ironman, has he? He's got quite a few second places. Yeah, yeah. But considering his pedigree, yeah. you know, you would have, realistically, if someone of his standard, and as you said, he's won a lot of races. And I'm sure if we did the same thing for 7.3, there'd be a lot more numbers 2017, there. 2017, 2, 4, 6, 8, 9 races, 7 wins, 2 second places. And that was bloody impressive. And the following year, uh, 2018, 2, 4, 6, 8 races, um, 6 wins, 2 seconds, and then a blowout at Kona. So I think people give him a lot of shit, and rightly so. He puts himself out there, so you know that's he he, he knows the game. He's, but he's I, a love hate person, isn't he? Yeah. Everyone love him or hate him. He's uh, he's got a lot of second. He got second at Ironman Florida, and that was to um, Gustav Eden, was it? I think it was. I can't remember. You know, he's done a lot of sub eight performances. So I think give him a little. Give him a little so slack. some ways you could argue is Ironman career has been very disappointing. Yeah, he's better. He has definitely done better at seventy point three. Yeah, like no, the second Kona was absolutely phenomenal. You get, yeah, you know that's phenomenal. There's nothing against that. But a guy who's got second in Kona, you would have expected in a career to have won mm. four more, yeah. one four, and pushed on from there. And he's kind of gone downhill a bit from there. Yeah, but okay, nothing as long as who knows? Absolutely, can he 
mix it with these dudes at the front now, the swimming standard has increased. And also, and he's thirty-five. And also, but that's often peak years. Mm-hmm. Um, Nice will be good for him. No, Nice will be terrible for me. He'll, oh, he'll do absolutely why? woefully in Nice because he's hopeless on the bike. Uh, oh, it's by skills. He's a good skills. biker, yeah. but his skills suck. No, he's, uh, if I was him, you almost wouldn't even go to Nice. Oh, really? <laughs> he's going to get annihilated on that bike, I reckon. Yeah, I've uh, the because he's a good biker, is, yeah. but he's just the skills but suck. But that's the cool thing about the Nice this year. It's going to create, you're going to need to be the full package. Um, the full package. Speaking of full packages, we've got Mike Phillips on the show right now. John's doing the interview later on today. So here is Mike Phillips, Ironman New Zealand champion for 2023. Righto, team. So as you've heard earlier in the show, we were witnessed a really good Ironman New Zealand this year. Good head-to-head battle in the in the boys' race. And we've got Mike Phillips, who is now a two-time Ironman New Zealand champion. Uh, he's podiumed at loads of races all around the world. And the majority that he's done, he's been on the podium. Uh, his current course record holder for the run with a two-hour 40 when he ran down an 18-minute deficit on Andrew Starkwitz. Uh, so good to have him back on the show, Mike. It's a couple of days now. It's Tuesday. You raced on Saturday. How are the legs doing? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, legs, I guess, are feeling it a wee bit. It was quite a tough day up there um, condition-wise, I think, like quite a bit hotter than people maybe anticipated. So a lot of people, I think, were having trouble with cramps and that kind of thing, nutrition and stuff. So, yeah, a bit beat up after that one. Um it's been a pretty lean year, few lean few years for you. You know, COVID obviously, you know, had you stuck in New Zealand. And I know you've been battling with uh, with injuries and so on. So maybe just talk us through what you've been up to for the last few years and and what have been your big challenges. Yeah, I guess it's been a few years now since I've sort of stood on the start line up there, kind of happy with how my prep's gone. Um, it's been a few years where there's been like really short build ups, so or I had a um a problem with my back one of the like a slip disc and then I had um plantar fasciitis in my foot for over a year so I was just trying to manage those injuries um sort of made it pretty hard to put in a good block of training for an Ironman um so yeah and then we with COVID sort of made it hard to travel as well so you know it was sort of training was pretty average travel was pretty hard so um then we ended up building a house which sort of you know, taking quite a bit of my time, you know, with the material shortages and everything. It sort of ended up being a bit more than we anticipated. Um, but, uh, yes, finally, the last sort of three or four months, I've been able to crack back into training properly, haven't had any injuries, and just been able to get back to sort of where I was in 2019. Yeah, no, it looked like Challenge Wanaka was, uh, was a nice little stepping stone while she didn't win. Um, the signs looked pretty good that you were in, in pretty good bike shape. But a lot of the hype going into Topo was, you know, Braden, he seems to get a lot of exposure relative to to yourself, and maybe to some degree, Sevi was sort of in the mix, not necessarily to crush everybody, but you know he's on his, his world tour. Did, does that sort of stuff motivate you, knowing that you've you know you've you've beaten Braden quite a few times? Does um, that sort of stuff motivate you to go out there and kick their butts? Yeah, I guess it's pretty funny. Like a lot of people are sort of like. You know, even my mum was saying, oh, you won't beat Braden. You know, there's no way you beat Braden. <laughs> Great, so, mum. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I knew from Wanaka, like, um, I held back quite a lot on the run down there. Like, being in the bike, in the swim and the bike, I felt really comfortable and it was the best power I've ridden on the bike. So I knew that I was at least better than I was back in 2019. So um, I was quite confident and I thought I knew how to play the race to give myself a chance of winning as well. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it didn't worry me too much. It's it quite funny when they sort of put up posts saying they're taking the trophy for a holiday and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> like it's in the bag. Um, but no, yeah, it's, it was definitely, it was a good race. It was a real um, dogfight. So what, what was your strategy? You said you had a bit of a plan going in and, and it looked like, you know, you executed a good swim and you sort of broke away, um, you know, latter, latter stages of the bike. But what, was that your strategy and did it sort of go go according to plan? Yeah, I guess sort of the first, um, like you had Jan van Berkel there who has ridden with me and then outran me on many, many occasions. So I guess um, the main thing was to make sure that he was out of touch. Um, and then you obviously had Sebastian and Matt who are very strong on the bike. Um, and, you know, on their day, they can run pretty good as well. Like they both sort of can run in that 245 range. Um, so they were sort of the next worry. Um so I guess we sort of tried to push, well, I tried to push the pace as much as we could just to keep them out of touch for that first lap of the bike. And it sort of started becoming quite apparent that it was just going to be a two-person race sort of once we got to halfway on the bike. Um, and then, yeah, I guess then after that, it sort of turned to how can I make sure that I give myself as much chance of beating Braden as possible. And I always thought the way to do that would be to have a buffer. I knew my biking was going well, so having a buffer starting that run and forcing him into chasing um i think he's quite a front runner so as soon as he's behind he sort of starts going doesn't worry about his pacing and just starts trying to chip the lead down um which i think is probably the best way to slow him down late in the run (laughs) did you feel like you were hurting Braden on the bike you know um were you were you doing most of the leading or was he sort of coming through and taking turns as well uh no the first lap we were pretty even on um turns i was trying to probably up the pace a bit just on my turns to make sure because i knew matt was coming with a head of steam yeah. and when we first saw him he um had yarn and sebi sitting in behind him yeah and i thought that's probably the worst cases of all um five of us end up together starting the run then my odds of getting of winning are quite low well relatively a lot lower yeah um but on that second lap i sort of just took the time to get into nutrition and hold back a bit um there was probably a bit of a lull there where it was quite slow, but yeah. um, I sort of thought that the more fresher I was for that um, last effort, I probably left it a little bit late. Like I would have liked to have gone probably with 45k to go or something like that. Um, yeah. But it opened up pretty quickly once I got away. Um, I wasn't really sure how much time I had when I came to transition because I could see Braden was chasing me initially. Like he sped up quite a lot as well when I went um, when I put the hammer down. Yeah. Um, but to come in and have nearly three minutes, so I was quite surprised. Um, it's quite nice. Like I was able to relax into the run and it was sort of until halfway that he was able to chip that lead down. So you obviously would have been, you would have seen that it was slowly chipping down. You know, I was watching on the tracker and it wasn't like it was coming down real fast. So um, you could obviously see him coming and, and when he catches you, what, what was your sort of strategy and did he come straight past or did you guys run together for a bit and, and what was sort of going through your mind and your strategy? Um, yeah, so I guess it's a four lap course, sort of 10k laps or just over. Um, I had about three minutes. I sort of mucked around at the first aid station, went to the toilet and made sure I got some nutrition and stuff in. So I lost about 30 seconds there. But um, he took about two minutes the first lap. So it was down to a one-minute lead. And then it took him the whole next lap to catch me. So I figured, well, he's not going that much faster, really. Um, And then when he came past me, he sort of put in a wee surge and it got like a five-meter gap. But then a K later, I was back up beside him. And he actually ran behind me for most of that third lap, pretty much the whole way around until we got to that little hill before town again. Yeah, and he he sort of surged a bit up there, and I was pretty happy just sticking to my pace. Um, 
you know, I was confident that I could run back up on the flatter sections. There's no point in spiking the hills. Um, and he got out to about 15 second lead and then it just started swinging back the other way again. And I ran back up onto his shoulder again. And just as I got to his shoulder, he got a cramp in his hamstring. Uh-huh. So he sort of stopped him in his tracks. Um, so that sort of opened up the gap straight away. And then I never saw him again after that. Um, but it would have been a good last lap, I think, if he'd still been running. Yeah. Did you intentionally, once you got past him, sort of crank things up again, or did you just keep it nice and uh, nice and even? No, I was still running sort of about four minute k's, and I thought that's probably about as good as I can hold for that last lap. Um, yeah. So there was no point in surging or anything like that. And I just thought, if I, you know, he's even if he's running, he's only running a couple of seconds a k at that point, faster at the most. So. Yeah. If I just keep the pressure on and he's battling cramps, it's pretty hard to come back from. Yeah. Now, I hate the next question when people ask um, athletes, you know, what does this win mean? Because I just hate that question. But in terms <laughs> of for your for your career now, you know, that's it's a big boost up. You know, you've beaten one of the, the top guys in the world who was, you know, third, third world champs last year in St. George. I know it was a 2021 version, but, you know, he's been pretty competitive. So does this... Um, mean anything in particular for you in terms of what you're going to do in the next couple of years and was it sort of a make or break race at all for you yeah i guess since like you know sort of 2019 i had a big run where i won won a lot of races and um everyone sort of had quite a bit more confidence so especially being a bigger guy sort of running 240 there i sort of thought to myself that i can be competitive in the you know sort of in the scheme of things worldwide in ironman racing um and then since then, I've just had a bunch of problems, which is obviously makes it pretty hard. And everyone, you know, doesn't remember your races from a few years ago. <laughs> like, yeah. I think I pretty much lost all my sponsors last year. So I only yeah. got a couple left now, um, which I think is fair enough. Like, you know, if you're not performing and not racing, then, you know, that's all part of it. But um, just to put a race down that was back sort of at that level, I think was quite important for me. Um, you know, it's been sort of 18 months now since I've even done a full um, so to do one and, and be able to beat those guys, especially, you know, I think Braden put a lot into that race. He had his coach mm-hmm. out here from Germany and sort of dedicated his summer to it. So to be able to beat a guy that's sort of getting consistently in that sort of top five at the World Champs is quite, yeah, I guess quite a boost for my career. Um, you know, you've done a lot in New Zealand, Australia and, and Asia. You've been to Kona a couple of times. One time, first time I think was, was re, sort of, you know, reasonable sort of 16th or something, which is pretty, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Um, the other time yeah. I think was a bit of an explosion this year. It's in yeah. Nice. Um, you're a bloody weapon on the bike and you've obviously got, you know, extremely good bike handling skills compared to some, some athletes because of all the bike racing you've done. Um, is Nice likely to be a target for you? Um, yeah, I'd like to get over there. Um, I haven't looked too closely at the course, um, but a lot of climbing probably isn't so good for me. But um, then if they're long, gradual climbs, it's sort of a bit different. Eh? Like it can be can be not too bad for a bigger guy. Um, but yeah, I sort of, I'll have a look at the calendar and see what other races are on and see sort of if I'm better off targeting something I can win or whether I go there and aim for a top 10 or something like that. Yeah. And you still, um, and obviously you said you missed, you lost a bunch of sponsors and obviously you weren't able to travel at all. So have you been back working or are you sort of still in the, the full-time athlete mode? No, well, we sort of were building a house last year. So I ended up just pretty much working full-time on that to sort of get it um, get it knocked over. Um, but yeah, I'm sort of back just full-time, full-time on triathlon now. So it's definitely a lot easier um, when you're not coming home, getting the hammer out and trying to bang some nails in. Yeah. <laughs> 
Got to get that ranking up so you get some uh, some PTO bonuses and get yourself on the Collins Cup team. Yeah, well, that's it. It's all sort of um, the rankings and stuff is quite um, quite important now, and it's sort of trying to find those races that under that new point system, like the platinum tier, sort of a good opportunity to get a lot more points. Um, and getting on those PTO open races obviously um, would be awesome. So yeah, that's definitely a target. And there are some good opportunities, like something like ITU Long Distance Worlds. I think it's a platinum race. Um, yeah. So that would be a good opportunity. Um, yeah. How long do you think it takes for them to get the the points? You know, what in terms of your point scoring from last weekend, um, have you got any idea sort of what level of points you've got? You know, given the strength of the field, I guess you had Braden, Sebi, Jan van Berkel, and then it sort of dropped away quite quickly. Um, it wasn't sort of a top tier race, so but you did go, you know, pretty pretty quick time. So, do you, any idea what sort of points you'll get? Um, I think it'll be around eighty sort of points. Um, mm. I think that'll move me sort of to maybe around 70th. Um, yeah. But my other scores are just from, since I haven't raced much, just from Wanaka and Tauranga, which is sort of around 60 points each. Yeah. So I need two more scores. Like sort of if I was in that, um, if I had three scores of sort of around 80 points, I'd be sort of around that top 30, which would get me into that race. So it's definitely not impossible. You just need to have kind of three races at that level in 12 yeah. months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly if you can make it to a hundred point race or a ninety point race, one of those higher tiers, um, it's definitely much easier to get the higher points. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so any you've got anything definite in the in the, in the agenda, um, or what's what's sort of next up for you? Um, so I've entered Geelong seventy point three, which is in Melbourne in three weeks' time. Um, so I'll just see how the next sort of few days go and whether that will be all right or not. Um, because there's not really much else on this side of the world, really. Um, just um, apart from the falls, obviously, Cairns and Port Macquarie. Um, but yeah, trying not to do, not to race back in and do six falls in a year and be injured again. So, um, yeah. See the Sky Challenge this weekend. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'll bust your legs off a bit. <laughs> yeah, can you make the course a bit easier? Or... <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, awesome, Mike. Now it's great to see you back on top um, and great to see Kiwis you know, having uh, two really awesome Kiwis going head-to-head. So thanks so much for your time and we look forward to seeing how the year unravels and hopefully see you at some of those big races and get that ranking up and hopefully get you on the, uh, the International's Collins Cup team. So thanks for your time. Awesome. Thanks very much, John. Now, we did that interview. John's actually done that after we've done this piece of show. So Such amazing interview skills oh, by mate, me. Oh, mate, you should be um, Paul Holmes. Yes. Paul, it's Paul. good to see Mike Phillips back. He, uh, I don't know who Paul Holmes He's dead. Yeah, Paul Holmes <laughs> for internationalists. He was kind of like our main guy interview. There was Holmes was a show on every night, wasn't it? Yeah. And he's a classic example of ego, wasn't he? He was a big mm. ego. And what these people don't understand is there's time slots more important than them. <laughs> and times and, and so Paul Holmes was the man. He ended a show. Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Know, after the news. After the news. And it was huge numbers. And then he left the biggest news channel, or the biggest channel in New Zealand, Channel One, and went to Prime to do Homes on Prime. Mm. Nobody watched him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think that would have hurt his ego. Because yeah. he thought people would have followed because it's just a flick of the channel. Hard to break habits. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got Carrie Lister. Carrie yeah. Lister is a bit of a legendary athlete. Uh, some really cool interview here. Here is Carrie right now. Right. Okay, team. Um, I reckon, and I've said this many times on the show, one of the most underrated athletes uh, of the last 10 years is Carrie Lester, who's our guest today. She's had she had three Ironman wins alone in 2019, amongst uh, plenty of others, and she's really 
had some awesome glory at multiple races, but a lot of them have been on really tough races in uh, in Europe. Embra Man events like that. She's had multiple top tens in Kona, and she's been two-time Ironman France winner. And I want to carry on with my little bit of a theme that we've had the last few weeks about <laughs> um, Nice versus Kona. So I thought, what better person to get on than Carrie? So welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's it's nice to be uh, back on the show. I think uh, the last time we spoke was Kona. 2018 maybe i think so yeah 17 or 18 and i remember that you were you were hoping for a top 10 and i remember i I think you might have got like ninth or something like that and you were 10th and you were pretty stoked because back then 11th got nothing and anywhere inside the top (laughs) 10 got a paycheck yeah 11th 11th is not where you wanted to to be <laughs> yeah, i think i think it's it's changed to 16th now but look um 2019 that was uh you know it looked like you're in the the form of your career with three three iron man wins uh, and then bloody covid came along and screwed things up um <laughs> how, how did you get through sort of that covid period when you were in, in such good form you know i guess mentally physically and um yeah financially yeah, listen, um, I, I'll have to be really honest. It uh, was a really difficult time for me, uh, you know, for COVID because obviously, like you said, you know, I had a, I, ha- I think 2019 was a career best year for me and I was 38 and, you know, and thinking I was probably going to race for another year or two and then, uh, you know, looking to start a family because, as you know, it becomes more difficult, you know, the longer that you wait for, uh, you know, the women and men as well. You know, Scott and I are both now in our early 40s, so we were both kind of pushing the time there to be able to to do that. So in my mind, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm in great form. I'm going to go, you know, 2020 is probably going to be maybe my kind of – last year of racing before I took that step back to to start a family and then COVID. So that was really difficult for me in deciding, well, what do I do? Do I just kind of ride the wave? Do I, is this, is this the time that I was meant to retire? And, um, you know, I was just in limbo like everyone else was, um, not really sure you know, what, what direction I was going to take. I think, you know, for the younger athletes, maybe it wasn't, you know, such a difficult decision because they have so long, you know, ahead of them in their careers. But for, you know, their older athletes, you know, it was definitely a really difficult time to know what, what's going to be next. Um, So we just kept going, Um, you know, we're very active people, um, whether we're training for a race or, we're not training for a race, you know, we get up every day and and we work out. So we just tried to keep as much structure there as we could. Um, Obviously the COVID dragged on for a lot longer than anyone wanted it to. Mm. (laughs) And the race schedule was on hold for a lot longer than anyone wanted it to be. Um, But yeah, we just, we kept, we just kept doing, you know, what we were doing and uh, we kept training athletes. So that kind of kept us in touch with just others and how others were feeling and uh, within our coaching business, you know, we really tried to keep just everyone motivated, including ourselves. And I think that really helped just having the support network there, you know, within our own community of 
just you know keeping everyone focused and knowing that there was you know it was there was going to be an end to it at some point and that we would all be back racing and you know everything would eventually return to normal so we just tried to keep everyone positive and um eventually 2021 we started to see some races come back and uh i started to get back into a little bit of a groove and i made that decision that okay i'm going to i'm going to go for one more year and then and then we'll see where we're at mm. and- 20 2021 ended up being all right, you know, you, uh, better than all right. You went, <laughs> when I'm in Coeur d'Alene, you went in Braman, uh, third of Cozumel. It was pretty, pretty solid year. Um, but the, one of the, sorry, you go ahead. They, they were all, they were all results that I was not expecting to have. Yeah. <laughs> I, like I said, we just kept going through that whole time and I really didn't start to feel like myself again until uh, probably uh, the middle of 2021, we went away to Park City in Utah and started a training camp. And I just, I got some really good fitness while we were there. I always do that when we go away into the mountains, when you're isolated and, you know, all you do is eat, sleep, train, repeat every day. And you just have that 100% focus. And then the result, the results just came and, I picked the races that I wanted to go to. Uh, my goal was really to go to Kona. I, I, again, I was thinking that that was probably going to be my last one. And then we went to Umbraman, had a great race. The plan was then to go to Kona. Uh, and then it was cancelled. So um, that really that really kind of took all of my motivation out for the for the rest of the year. And I think... Since then, I, I went to Cozumel. I didn't have a great race. To be honest, I wasn't motivated at all. Um, and then I, I haven't been on the race course since. <laughs> can, can I ask, you know, like you talk about that you're losing that motivation piece. Uh, what does it, how does it change when you're racing like in the event? Like, how does it change? What's the different experience when you're kind of not just peak fitness, but peak motivation? How's it different? I think when I'm when I'm talking about my motivation, I'm talking more about my why, okay. and you know I'm looking at yeah, well, what what am I excited about for the race? And I look at am I what's my hunger level of the race? Am I am I hungry to win, or am I just looking to get around the course? Or um, you know what's my feeling of excitement about the race? Am I going to be aggressive? So all of that to me is kind of like forms my why am I here in racing? And if I don't have those elements, I feel a little lost going into the races. Uh, It's never that I'm um, questioning my fitness. I mean, that, that typically happens more at the beginning of the year, not so much at the end of the year. But for me, it's my, yeah, it's my real purpose of why, like what, and what is this race? Why am I here? And, and what am I looking to get for the race? And so when you hit Cozumel, you were struggling to find a why? I was exactly struggling to find a why. I think there was still questions about whether Kona was going to happen for 2023. Um, I was questioning, well, why am I racing here? I don't, I didn't. Um, I was questioning whether I was going to be racing in 2023. You know, I've, I had put off starting a family for, you know, that extra two years. 
So I was questioning what my what is my motivation? Am I racing Cozumel to try and qualify to go to Kona for next year? Am I, you know, what am I excited about the race? Um, I just felt really um, just not not particularly motivated at that point in the year. Uh, mm-hmm. After there's there was still so much uncertainty, and I guess I felt like I was just ready to to move on. One of the areas you, know, you talked about your why there, um, you often chose to do, not always, but often chose to do some pretty tough European races. You mentioned Embraer Man there. Um, you obviously did Nice. Uh, you, I know you did Alpe d'Huez Triathlon um, from time to time. So why did you go and choose those races? Was it the prize money was good? Was it you prefer tough courses? Or is it just because you're, you're kind of good at those courses? I... Definitely chose those races for the course and also because I felt like that's where I could really capitalise on my strengths as, you know, an all-round triathlete. Um, for the swim, the bike courses are difficult in terms of the course um, elevations and also the technicality of the course, the longer climbs, the long descents, and also just the variability of the courses. I was always just more interested in racing courses that had all of the different elements. They had a little bit of time trialing, long climbs, long descents, technical descents. They just had all of the elements that I found exciting. So that kind of gave me the excitement that I wanted when I was choosing races, I was never excited about flat courses. <laughs> mm. They never excited me. Um, mm. And it wasn't that I doubted my ability to perform on the course. I just, they just didn't excite me. I was always a rider and a racer that preferred to race on a course with lots of different elements. And I usually preferred uh, a hotter race again I felt like I was someone that always performed uh, better in in the heat so if I could find a course that had a difficult bike course and a challenging run whether that was going to be a flat run but there was a heat it was hot like Nice or the course was the run course was slightly hilly so I liked that more challenging course. And many of the courses that you find over in Europe delivered that. So mm. they were I was immediately attracted to those. So just, just talking about Nice, you, you kind of already answered this question a bit, you know, I guess why you go and do that race. The the bike is cha- is you know reasonably challenging and the run, you know, uh, depending on what time of the year they had it, could be um could be hot. And I know one year you did it, I think they shortened the run because it was uh, so ridiculously hot. But what, <laughs> what what was it about Nice that you you particularly liked? Um and you probably have fond memories because you won, but but you know, what what are some of the things that you really liked about Nice? I like a lot of things about Nice. I think it's one of the best Ironman courses that is is on offer. I think it's it and it offers everything. The swim is absolutely beautiful in the Mediterranean. It is so clear and blue and just warm. <laughs> I like warm water, so that that was always an attraction. But it's so beautiful in the morning when you start the swim, and if you have a chance to look back 
under the city of Nice and you see all of the historical buildings and the sun coming up over the mountains. It's absolutely beautiful. So the swim is beautiful and then the bike course has everything. And it reminds me a lot of being in California where we ride from the beach into the mountains and you have everything. So you have a, a small element of time trialing and then you're climbing into the small villages in Nice. Um, you have some long climbing, technical descents, and it's just really cool the way that the course is um, laid out so that you're going through all these little villages in the country that you don't even know that they're there. Um, and then you come back and you're running on the promenade on a Sunday where the general population is sitting out at restaurants and they're on the beach and you have an Ironman, you know, going up and down on the promenade. So it's just, it's just magnificent. Um, what do you dislike about it? I, I, I can't, I can't give you anything that oh. I don't like about <laughs> nice. it. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I really can't. I, I it's, um, it is a crazy town. It is a crazy city. There's a, it's, it's hectic. Um, so whenever we've stayed there and I would suggest, you know, for any athletes that are coming into the city, particularly for the first time to try and find some accommodation that is kind of close to the race site where you're not commuting or not trying to get into the city because it is very busy. Um, and it elimin eliminates a lot of stress if you're, if you're close to town and, and you're, you know, within walking distance of, of the race. So um, if I had to say anything that I dislike, it's just the amount of people there, but mm. there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that, you know, is, is a turnoff in, in my opinion. It's just a magnificent place. When, when they announced that they were doing this, what were your feelings? I As wish I was still racing. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you like the idea of them having the male males there and the females in Kona and it kind of being a bit all over the place? Or you think it's been handled as a bit of a shimozzle? It's definitely, I would be in agreement to say it's been handled. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess. Um, I do, I will say I do like the idea of uh, rotating the venue of a world championship because as much as I, you know, I know of the history of the Kona course, it does only suit a particular type of athlete. And I think it's, it's going to be very exciting and interesting to see a world championship over a completely different course that will challenge a completely different athlete. And it challenges all aspects of, um, you know, being able to ride a bike, run it's not going to be one thing about you know having the world championship in nice in september you're not really going to have the element of heat that you typically have in june so i think that in terms of the weather will be um a lot more manageable for athletes but i do like the idea of challenging athletes over a world champion over a different world championship course rather than over at Kona every every single year, but in terms of splitting up the race for the men and women, no, I don't. I'm not. 
are particularly in agreement with that. Um, I'd like to see both men and women racing in Nice in the same year. I think that would be that would be great. But in terms of changing the venue, I do I do like the idea of that. Um, in, in terms of Kona, was that a race? Obviously, it ticks the uh, the heat index for you, so you kind of like that aspect. The course is kind of you know, somewhat challenging. It's not flat, but it's not uh, certainly wouldn't call it you know insanely hilly. Did you did you enjoy Kona, or you kind of went there because you had to because it was a world champs and there's money, the sponsors, there's the best lineup, and you and you want to line up against the best. So, what what was your sort of feelings towards Kona every year? I, I always enjoyed going to Kona and, and kind of, you know, you always want to race the best in the world. And that was the platform. That was the race that, you know, we had to do that. So that element, you know, was always attractive. And in terms of sponsorship, you know, a, a sponsors ex- expecting you to be there and do you, you go there just for a sponsorship? It, it's a big element for it. I think, Athletes can do well for themselves without racing Kona. It definitely provides more exposure if they're there um, in terms of sponsorship. So that is important. It wasn't the only reason that I went there. My main reason was to challenge myself on that course against the best athletes in the world and really just to prove to myself that I was competitive on a course like that because – I had won a lot of my races in Europe on a course that we've spoken about, you know, very hilly, just different to the Kona course. So it was more for me, okay, well, do I I need to, to move away from those courses and also prove myself on a course like Kona against the best in the world. Um, so that was... Was I excited about Kona? Um, again, like I've, we, I said earlier, that courses for me were always a big deciding factor in how excited I was about the race. Um, so I was never particularly excited about racing over the Kona course. I was excited about racing against the women that I was racing against, but mm-hmm. over the course itself, it never really provided that excitement that, I got when I was racing in Nice or Umberman or Alpe d'Huez. It's just that's the athlete that I am. Um, yeah, that's that's just how I felt about, with, with, about with the Kona, race. I think your best result was a seventh. Do you, do you feel you had your perfect day in Kona, or or you know, like overall, did you ever have a day where you actually kind of nailed the race? I no, I never felt like I nailed the race there. I think my best opportunity or where I thought was going to be my best year was in 2019. Uh, I was in the best form uh, of my career and I was in exactly the position that I wanted to be coming out of the swim. I had my best swim there and I just immediately felt like it was going to be, it was probably what you shouldn't do. I was immediately thinking when I was in that kind of group out of the swim right like this is it this is going to be the year for me and, and about 30 minutes into the bike I dropped my race nutrition and um, you know had to make up for it for the rest of the bike which I was okay with I, I think I handled it well but I was definitely under fueled 
and um, probably uh, a little dehydrated when I got off to run and I did not run uh, the marathon I wanted to have that. But I still finished, uh, I actually finished eighth. I got uh, just pipped at the... I was Finish just looking at the career. results. Two <laughs> I seconds. Did, I, was se- I was seventh until yeah, the last two seconds. So, oh. but in terms of, I think I still came away from that race feeling very satisfied with how I dealt with, you know, what happened. And even though I knew that, okay, maybe I I was definitely in the top five. I was definitely top five form. It just that's Kona. Things happen, and you have to do the best you can to deal mm-hmm. with you know, what you're given on the day. And I, and I did that. So I, I'm disappointed, but I'm not disappointed. I don't have any regrets now about, you know, doing that. I think everybody, when they finish their racing career, and I'm not really sure that I'm finished yet. I'm just, you know, speaking kind of like that now, but um, we always think that we could do better there. I think unless you've won, <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's always that, you know, could I have just, you know, done this better or I could I have been in the top three or the top five? There's always that kind of mystery of Kona about, you know, your race performance. So you, you say you're, you're obviously on another endeavour in life right now, but uh, is there a future in front of you coming back to pro racing? Uh, and if so, what changes as you age in the way you approach racing? I think – if I was to come back and race, I would be extremely selective in what races, you know, I pick. And like I spoke about earlier, you'd really have to have that why in why are you going to that particular race? Is it the memories that you have, the venue? Is it a course that suits you? Uh, How fit you are at the time? You know, where you're really going to be uh, able to perform well you know, given, you know, how much you've been able to train your life situation um, and just, you know, your general feelings towards, you know, the race. I know, you know, if I was to come back, you know, I'm thinking I immediately want to go over and race in Europe. Uh, That's where I have the most memories. That's where I've had the most success. But I also think, you know, am I going to be at a level where I can handle that course? because we often went over to to Switzerland, to Europe, to train for months before we handled some of those courses. So there's a lot of work that we had to do to prepare to race over that course. So you know, am, I, am I willing to do that amount of work again to be able to handle that course and perform well? That, that's the things that I would be thinking about. Or is it, okay, well, I don't have time or the energy or just the the motivation to be able to train for an Ironman? Do I want to just do half Ironman races? And would I even be competitive over those anymore because of how fast the women are now and how it's just the level has just gone through the roof in terms of racing for both men and women. So mm. can I be competitive? Mm. Nice. What are you, and you obviously you, you didn't race twenty twenty two and went to twenty twenty three. What are you What are you doing to keep yourself uh, busy at the moment? And, and anything you want to promote or get out there? So we have twenty twenty two was uh, a bit of a transition year. Like I said, I was very 
unmotivated, I guess, at the end of 2021. And I was not sure of uh, what was ahead in terms of in Kona and what was going to be the schedule for 2023. So um, Scott and I also, we, I guess we took that step back as well because we wanted to start a family and we were hoping that that would happen quickly in 2022 and that I would be, you know, able to be back racing at the end of the year and, and take it more of as, as a career break. But it was more difficult than we thought. Hmm. Funny how it changes as you get older. You think it's so easy, but it's really not. And, hmm. um, it, yeah, it took longer than we thought. But in, that, in the time that we were, you know, doing that, just taking a step back from racing and training so much we um we've started distributing a a, a company from andorra called otso sport uh we met the owner in Umberman in uh 2019 and he expressed to us his interest in wanting to come to the u.s so we uh stepped up and started to help him with that it's been a really interesting exciting learning curve and uh we are now um also distributing an u.s customer service for ecoy cycling so that nice. kind of led we're doing lots of things in terms of events we're going to um, some cycling events for ecoy cycling and then we're also at triathlon many triathlon races for both otto sport and Ikoi. So we're keeping ourselves busy with um, with both of that. And also we have a coaching business, which is going very well. Kiss Coaching, we still, um, we now have five coaches uh, coaching for us within the United States. We've just added um, Adriano Engelhart, who is our Swiss uh, pro athlete. So he's coaching now for us in Europe as well. Nice. Um, so the, everything's going well. We have a lot of things uh, keeping us busy. We're still on the starting a family path. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, we looking. We are expecting um, a child in at the end of September. Nice. Oh, so, thank you. It's still it's still a little early, but we're very excited that um, it's it's happened for us. And, um, yeah, it just took a little longer than we hoped. But <laughs> yeah. Good things take time. Yeah, we have uh, lot, so- that, that is true. So, yeah, we have a lot of stuff going on. Um, but we love that we're still, even though we're not racing, we're still very much in touch with the community. And, um, yeah, lots, lots of exciting things happening. So if people want to catch you, the, the races, what, what's a couple of races coming up that you'll be at? Try, try we races. Be, we will be at Oceanside. That will be nice. the first one of the year. Um, and then we'll be at Texas. I'm in Texas. Uh, also St. George. Uh, and that's, that's it for the first part of the year. We're looking to see what, um, what's on, what's on the calendar for June. Um, yeah, yeah, but oh, that, they're the first thing on. So, we will be there for uh, Otto Sport, Ikoi, Cycling, and also we'll have Precision Hydration. So we'll have a Monopoly at the Expo. No. <laughs> <laughs> if, any, if anyone needs any swimwear, running gear, cycle gear, 
and uh, nutrition, we will be there. So come and see us. Brilliant. <laughs> Love your work. It's always good to catch up. Um, thanks for your time and good luck with this year, wherever it might lead. And uh, whether that leads to being back on the race course further down the track, we shall wait and see. But love your work and thanks so much yeah, for your time. Thank you, guys. John, what your thoughts? It was good. You know, I think um, we've often talked about the why you do racing and uh, and she, if she's going to come back and race, uh, finding that why is going to be a challenge. It is amazing because eh? you think of that moment when you're in a race and you've got to make harder decisions. It was ex- you, if, if you want to find out a good um, story about this, you go and look at Sebastian Keenlay. I haven't watched the whole clip, but he just did his post Topol clip. You know, he's doing this oh, okay, series, yeah, yeah. and he sounded like it was really scraping the barrel. He's like, "Why the hell am I doing this? You know, this is supposed to be a fun year, going yeah. and doing my, my my sort of fun tour. I'm going rubbish here." And he said, it, mentally, it was one of the hardest races he ever had to do. Really, uh, and so go and have a look at that clip. But you also find that in training, don't you? Like I love my running group. When we get, you know, leading, particularly people who are kind of newer to what we do, leading up to the peak weekend, it's stimulating ears, they're loving it, loving mm. it. And then they get to taper and they find it really hard. Mm. You know, they find it mentally really challenging and they're doing less running, often mm. less intense running, but it's just something about not having the challenge of being the next level mm-hmm. actually makes it harder, doesn't it? So no, it's, it's important for everybody to identify that when you're, you know, early on and you keep sort of focused on that and uh, make sure you call on it on race day. And if it's, that why is waning. The why gotta, is waning. Gotta, gotta do something about it. Yeah, definitely do. Let's go winger of the week. Okay, Bevan. Um we where am I going? I'm going random.org. Let's see what random.org spits out today. It's gonna be number twenty three. Let's see if number twenty three is Jordan. in fact a triathlete. It's Michael Jordan. Sure. Uh, she is a triathlete, but she didn't swim last week, Helen Bradford. Oh, come on, she's Helen come Bradford. on she's come on at camp a couple of times. Uh, lovely lady. Okay, we're twenty four. Okay, well I got Brian Lafer. Brian. Oh, he didn't swim either. Didn't swim either. I've 25. Got, no, 25. no, I've got, I've got 31 here by, by random.org. Uh, random.org, 31. Jeff Fidgefar from Team man. Everyman Jack. He's been uh, on before doing this. He swam three hours, 24 minutes. He biked 8.51 and ran four hours and 10 minutes from 13 activities. Um, and that uh, topical for this week's question was that Everyman Jack, you know, that's another one of these teams yep. that is not really based on geography. Uh, Jeff is from Ponte Verde Beach in Florida, and I'm going to request to follow because I can't see any of his activities. But last week, he had a great week. Uh, and just these, these tables just show how much training you've got to do to be up, up amongst it. Uh, last week, I had a pretty good solid week. I thought it was about 15, 16 hours, 13, 13 hours, 36 of moving time. Only got me 69th out of 100. I think a f- few people, Ironman results went in there, but uh, good on them. I must average 14 hours of exercise a week. Moving time. This is what Strava screws you on, moving time. So No, yeah. exercise, because it's exercise recorded. Admittedly, one of them is an hour walk on a Friday. Right. But, but don't go recording golf and no, well, no, stand up paddleboarding you got, you got, and all you got, that you sort of stuff. circles on your watch. Oh. And I still go, it's an hour walk. Yeah. You know, it's still movement. It still counts as exercise. You can't do all extreme exercise all the time, John. Right. Um, because I averaged, my stats show me that I averaged, I'm, I'm loving the stats on the phone. I'm loving it. My sleep stats. Okay, you keep talking. How did Brownlee go? Okay, wait, let's go back to the question. Oh, wait, wait a second. Jeff FIFA. Fedfar, I think Fedfar? it is. Yeah. Uh, you are our winger of the week. the week. Okay, so the next question is, Jombo, how, how many Ironmans has Alistair Brownlee completed? Completed. So got to the finish line. 
Again, I don't think it's high. I'm going to say six. But I'm going two. Oh, you reckon it's Wales? He won did Wales. He, did he finish in Kona? Maybe he walked it in No, he did, he did finish Kona. Three then. I'm yeah. going three. Okay, I'll go two. Uh, <laughs> it's gone, he's gone Wales, he's gone Western Australia, and I think he's finished Kona. So, oh, no, we're already wrong. He won Ironman Sweden last year as well. So oh, that's one. Um, he did Ironman Western Australia. That's two. Hawaii's three. What did I say? Ironman Ireland four. You said two. I said three. Oh, I first said six, didn't I? Yeah, he did. Yeah. It's four, I think. I know him. I've only done four. Oh, no, yeah. it's one four. So Ironman Island, he, and he's a pretty good record. Ironman Island, he won. That was when the swim got cancelled. Ironman Hawaii, bombed out there, but he's still finished with a three hour 13 run. Then one Ironman Western Australia in seven hours and 45 with a 2.43 one. And then we had COVID to screw things up. Then Ironman Sweden last year, impressive. I mean, this 44 minute swim, 409 on the bike, and 2.40 on the run for a 7.38. 46. Very impressive. But he did not finish, uh, or did not start Ironman South Africa, which means he doesn't have a Nice slot yet, so he's, he's going to have to go and Does find Braden, one did somewhere. Did Braden get a slot? Yep, so Ironman New Zealand, Mike Phillips and Braden both got okay. slots, and then it rolled to third place in the females, because Els Visser already had one, so that meant Hannah Wells and Rebecca Clark, Clark yep, took that out. There you go. I sleep seven hours last night, no wake-up time. Great. Do you do, do, you, do you sleep stats? No. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. It is really interesting. I go up five every day. Do you, are you a good sleeper? Yep. Go to sleep. Yep. Oh, I sometimes wake up a bit early, but I usually go to sleep pretty early. What time do you go to sleep? Uh, what time do you go to bed? Anywhere from 9.15 to 9.45. Oh, you're, you're late. Mm. We go to about 8.30. Mm. Sleep. Yeah, early. 9.15, yeah. Mm. What time do you wake up? Five. 4.45. Mm. That's why I go to bed a bit earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, John Boy, what's your swim set? Uh, swim set, what did we do today? We did 200 warm-up, 2 times 100 kick, 2 times 100 drills, 2 times 100 IM, and then we did 5 200s moderately hard. I said to my swimming buddy, Nicole, I said, right, I'm doing, these, I'm doing them on 250. She said, oh, I don't know, she's you got your fancy goggles. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see the clock. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> and uh, the pacing was precision. It was like 249, 249, 250, 251. How, how much rest are you getting? Uh, 15 seconds well we did them on the 305 uh, so about 15 yeah 14 15 16 then we did 100 meters uh, recovery and then an 800 steady just straight straight swimming just sort of Ironman pace and then 100 easy I think it was and then 450s really fast and then warm down 3.3 k's Good times, rock and roll. Okay, John, but let's say thank you to our patrons. You can go first. Connor, the camel, Perendergrast. We've got Matthew Dingo Jones. And Liz, Elastigirl Marshall. If you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. Support the boys and what we do. Get a gift. Go in the draw to win some cool prizes. Uh, once you're on the page, you can also get the show emailed to you. If you want some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. If you want me, anything I do, bevanjamesisles.com, including my book, uh, age group of the week, cool websites, and other feedback, you can email us at iamtalkpodcast at, at gmail.com. John, you your goss? It's going to be quite a long show, and I chuck in the Mike Phillips yeah, interview, so yeah. my goss, pretty quick. Um, 
went to a triathlon at the weekend, Ooh. sprint distance race. Okay, Tommy. Oamaru. Uh, no, he was doing the secondary schools race. Oh, okay, uh, how'd he go? Uh, he won that, which was good. Whoa. We both made, we South Island champs, and um, we both made errors on the bike. Uh, he turned around earlier. This is a bit confusing, the turnaround spot. He turned early and had to go back, and that cost him because the guy who was chasing him down got away, but luckily he managed to run him down. And then I managed to completely miss the turnaround, got in the, the wrong channel, and they had to like rip the, emerge, the, the, the sort of security tape so I could get back on oh, the course, really? which was good, quick thinking by the marshal that was there. So kudos to him. Uh, got annihilated in the swim because I was being a wuss off the start line. Ran really well, so I was pretty stoked with that. 340 per K average, so I was pretty pretty happy with that. Felt pretty speedy given I'm not doing much running. Yep. Uh, other than that, Bevan... Um, getting ready for Cedar Sky Challenge this weekend. Not much else. That last week was the end of three weeks of really consistent training. We haven't done a show for a couple of weeks or haven't recorded live. So three weeks of good, consistent training, feeling pretty good about things. It was a good weekend to be a sports fan. It was. Oh, we haven't mentioned the cricket. Yeah, John, John Mountain Snail wants to mention it. And he's a pom, so he, yeah. he wants to dig it in. Mountain yeah. Snail, do you consider yourself a pom or a kiwi? Because mm. he's been here for a while. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, he's a kiwi. So, it, so cricket... If you're not a kiwi, oh, or a mate, pom. you're going to love this because we were playing the poms and they were down throwing us, pulling our pants down, and they, just uh, yeah, look, humiliating it, us. Humiliating us. It's a five day game, test cricket for Americans, five day game. Five day and games. It, and often ends up in a draw. And it came, they, they won by one run, which is like unheard of. Unheard of. And we've got this guy called Neil Wagner. And Neil Wagner is not the most talented player of all time. He's, mm. a, good, he's a good player, don't get me wrong, but, but just effort, eh? Mm. Just, he does the same ball over and over again. And he's not even that tall. He does a bounce at every ball. If you miss it, it's going to hit you <laughs> in the head. <laughs> and he's just, and he's like an angry soul. Apparently, he's the most passive, nicest guy you ever meet. Yeah. But when he's playing, he's got a firecracker over his butt. Yeah. And he goes absolutely crazy. And we won by one. The, the, the smallest margin ever in the history of the sport. Only mm-hmm. the third time where a team's won from follow on. So that was good. Mm-hmm. Then we had the mighty voter from Warriors. Took a win. No, the, the, mighty, the, the mighty one New Zealand Warriors. <laughs> I'm trying to train myself to say it right. And then uh, Canterbury won the rugby. Yeah. So it's been a good weekend. Auckland lost the rugby. Yeah, that makes it even better. <laughs> a better weekend. <laughs> uh, what else? My gosh, John, I went away. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, been on. Yep. I was going to post. I saw you post something on a, on one of your uh, socials. Socials, and I thought, yeah, yeah, but you're not at the... the, 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 the and you know what? We would have been that to myself. fine. <laughs> we were, now, admittedly, my mum struggled. My mum's a very fit 64-year-old. Um, she runs a lot. She still does half marathons and stuff. Um, but she did have to stop a lot. She's got it since COVID. She's struggled with her breathing, mm-hmm. so she did have to stop. A, you know, we kind of stop every kind of five minutes, just for mm-hmm. like thirty seconds. Um, paradise, but if you ever come to New Zealand mm. and you get, and what we did, we did it quite well because we drove to Tikapo. So this is in the middle of the South Island, down the bottom, here, Mount Cook, which is the highest mountain in New Zealand. And so we drove to Tikapo, just spent the night there, got up in the morning, and did Mount John. So mm-hmm. climb up to Mount John. And, it's an observatory. Yeah. Best stargazing in the world. Why is it called Mount? Because it's, it's, it's a hell. <laughs> it's not even, it's a bump. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't figure it out. Why is it called Mount John? I don't know. Yeah, because it's not a mountain. Yeah. No. And then we then we drove to Mount Cook in the afternoon and did the Hooker Lake, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful walk. Never seen it so busy. Oh, yeah. Like a theme park busy. Yeah. Yeah, like the car park was absolutely chocker. Mm. And then stayed in Mount Cook for the night. Um, and then got up the next morning did Sally Tan. We would mm-hmm. have been fine going all the way. Mm-hmm. We, and we had a perfect day. Nice. Then drove back to Tikapo and spent the night there and came home. But awesome, he spent it on McGill. McGill beats me at Monopoly cards. I'm not happy. We had a championship round. She, she's yeah. a champion, yeah. 
Not happy. A lot of luck in that game. No, she beats me, John. Yeah. There is luck, but I, I normally win. Yeah. yeah. Not happy. So I'm quite happy for you to be leaving go back to Australia. Gosh. <laughs> Other than that, John, that's pretty much me. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick hard. hard.